How's everybody doing this morning? Doing good? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Everybody say end times. Pastor's preaching on the end times. And uh, today's probably going to be very uh, teachy, I guess. But that's okay. Amen? I want to teach you some things. So if you have your Bible, go to Matthew 25. And we're going to look at Matthew 25. I started last week talking about the 18 characteristics that are laid out in the Bible where Paul is telling his son in the faith, Timothy, of what the characteristics of the end times would look like. And uh, I guess the question always is, are we living in the last days? Which really, if you think about it, is a bit of a silly question because everybody in this room, these are the only days we have. (laughs) Right? Reminds me of living in Louisiana. And I lived 15 years among the Cajun folk. And that was uh, very interesting times. And there were two pastors that lived way down the bayou. And they had churches that were kind of close to each other. One was here and one was here. And uh, they both had signs out in front of their church. And the first one you'd come to as you came around the corner down there on the bayou was he had a sign, large sign out that said, the end is near. And if you go a little bit further, the one that was catty corner there said, turn around before it's too late. <laughs> and the, the man pulled up one day and both the pastors were out working in the churchyards cleaning up for Sunday. And the man rolled down his window so end is near, turn around before it's too late. And he screamed out the window. He was an, an atheist. And he said, you religious nuts are always just telling people what to do. And he screeched off. And a couple of minutes later, they heard another screech and a big splash. And the one Cajun pastor looked at the other Cajun pastor and said, I guess we should have just put the bridges out ahead. <laughs> so when you begin to talk about that's as funny as it gets today, y'all. So just buckle up. As we talk about Matthew 25 and the parable of the, the ten virgins, five foolish and five wise. And did you realize that a third of your Bible deals with prophecy? It deals with things to come. So biblical prophecy is a very, very important subject. You can see modern day headlines that you'll pull up your news app or be watching the news. You will see headlines that were talked about thousands of years ago. Ezekiel, matter of fact, it's in Ezekiel 38, it actually talks about an alliance between Russia and China. Thousands of years ago, everything that you see beginning to develop. So my job as a pastor is, as we look at this parable today, and parables were given to us, not just good moral stories. Um, there's always three characters in every parable of Jesus that Jesus taught. And Jesus taught parables for one very simple reason. They were very relatable. They were subjects and topics that the people that were listening to him could look around them and, and put visually exactly what he was referring to so that they could understand it. But much more than just a good moral story, even though we get good moral law and things Jesus expects us to be as we live in his kingdom, as we make him Lord and Savior over our life, we now come into something called the kingdom of God. Uh, One gospel kind of uses the kingdom of heaven because of the audience that he was writing to. But the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are the same thing. And that's what Jesus came to establish on the earth, even all the way back when he came 
was buried, rose again on the third day. Forty days later, he ascends, and now he's at the right hand of the Father. And the most important thing I can tell you today in relation to the parable he tells and the the teaching on the end times that he begins in Matthew 24 and extends over into Matthew 25, the most important thing I can tell you today, whether you're here and you're on the fence and I'm not sure if I believe in all the Jesus stuff or you're a sold-out, blood-bought, on fire, come to church three days a week, prayer meeting and everything else, whether... You're in either of those two areas. I want you to know the truth. Jesus is coming again. It is a doctrine of the church that has existed for over 2,000 years. And it's something called the parousia. That's the, the, the theological term of the return of our Lord Jesus. So as we are talking the next, to, yeah, last week, today, and then, of course, on into next week and maybe the week after and uh, I'll, I'll lay out, Lord willing, next Sunday, the signs of the times, some things that we can begin to look at and look for of the times that we're living in. Because this old pastor believes with all his heart that we are getting very close to his return. And listen, if you're here this morning and you're saved and you're on your way to heaven, there's no better news I could give you than Jesus is coming back. If you're here this morning and, again, you're on the fence and you're not sure if you want to turn your life over to God, that can be very frightening news, perhaps. But this... Doctrine is not meant to frighten us. It is meant to prepare us. This doctrine that we're going to look at this morning through the parable in Matthew 25 of the five wise and foolish virgins. Because Jesus in Matthew 25, he gives three parables that really express who Jesus is. Runs all through the Old Testament because... The, the parable we're going to look at today, it, it, it gives us a picture of Jesus that he is a loving bridegroom. That he is passionately in love with his people. That he, he's on fire to, to draw you into an intimate relationship with him. But if you stop there and you just see Jesus as love, 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 then you're not getting a full picture of who Jesus is because then he gives another parable. And not only Jesus is a loving bridegroom and he wants to have a beautiful, wonderful, life-giving, blessing, intimate relationship with him through the person of the Holy Spirit, he is also a judge. Everybody say judge. Another parable that he gave and and he, he laid out to his disciples and all who were listening to him, was that not only is he a loving bridegroom, but Jesus is a judge. And then another parable he gave, Jesus is a king. Everybody say king. So it's, it's in, in all three of those are laid out in the book of Revelation. We see Jesus as the bridegroom. We see Jesus as the judge. And we see Jesus as the king. And really when he gave the parables, there was always three characters in the parable. Most of them, not every single one of them. But there was always three characters. Because the point was for the people that were listening to Jesus teach parables, you were supposed to find yourself in the story. You were supposed to find of what condition that you were so that the Holy Spirit would do His work in convicting and leading you to the place that the Lord was teaching. Because again, if you just seem as the loving bridegroom, you're not getting a full picture of Jesus. We need to understand Jesus is coming with His reward in His hand, but a sword in the other. Amen. And He's going to judge evil. He's going to judge this earth. And if you're not saved, if you have not committed your life to Christ... Today would be a great day to do that. Amen. And I'm going to teach on the, the parable of the five wise and five foolish virgins. I actually, one of pastors uh, illustrated sermons, y'all. Y'all ready? This is so cool to me. I'm going to use this a little bit this morning. 
because this is the type of lamp that is spoken of in this parable. I have never personally actually held one. I've seen pictures. But somebody in the church that I mentioned last week, I'd be teaching on this parable. Somebody in the church brought this by the office this week. And this is the lamp that was referred to in the parable. So we're going to talk about that this morning and talk about Jesus as, as our bridegroom, how much he loves you and how much he's for you, and how there's always three characters in every story that we can identify with. So if you're in Matthew 25, say a big amen. Amen. Look at verse 1 this morning and we'll read this together. This is the word of the Lord. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. At midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should be not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourself. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Heavenly Father, as we focus on your word this morning, and Lord, teach on the end times. This isn't something that I desire to do in and of myself, but it's by the leading of the Holy Ghost. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that there would be an anointing that surpasses anything I could do, but that would touch the hearts of these precious people in this room today. Lord, we know we're living in serious times. We know we're living in dark and difficult times. But, Lord, we focus our eyes on you today. We focus upon your word, and we pray that there would be a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Let us not just get head knowledge, but let us get heart knowledge this morning. And that's done by the moving of the Holy Spirit, by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, we ask you to help. You be the helper today and to change our hearts and to draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said. Let me put this in context because context is king when you read the Bible. It's important to do that any time that you open the Bible is to put it in the greater context that it exists. And we all know that there will be an end of the age. We all know that the doctrine is that Jesus came once and Jesus is coming again. And there are massive, massive implications to studying these type of subjects. So he spoke the parables and he was letting his people know that not only did he come once, but at the very end of that parable, he is letting them know that no one knows the day or the hour and if anybody tells you or you hear or you see a book of 19, you know, 1,998 reasons why he's coming in 1998, you've got to be careful of that. But I do want to tell you by way of scriptural teaching is that we do not the day, know the day or the hour, but Jesus was expressly clear that we would know the season of which he would return. That if we're prepared, if we're studied in the word, if our hearts are... Are, are turned towards God and following Him with all of our heart, 
we would have an understanding to be very wise and discerning of the times that we're living in. So this is a very serious subject. It's a very encouraging parable that Jesus gave. Because again, if you see yourself as one who is not expressly put forth the effort to develop an intimate relationship with God, then there is still chance for you to develop that. Amen? Wouldn't plan on saying this at this part of the sermon, but can I just kind of just talk to you for a few minutes? I, uh, the Lord gave me a beautiful, and I asked if I could share this because after I left, I prayed on it when I came back to my office because yesterday after we did the men's thing, we had a wonderful men's meeting, by the way. Great worship time. I hope it was a great word for you, man. I won't say because I was the one preaching it, so I won't say good or bad. It just, it was what it was. Amen. We had a good time of fellowship. We had a good time of coming together. I think it's important for us to gather together and encourage each other, especially in the days we're living in. And that's what I got yesterday. It was encouragement. But right after that, I had just a little appointment um, scheduled with one of our precious sisters in the church. And she's not been able to get out lately. So I had uh, Leah contact her and the daughter. And the, the family has been in this church for a long time. But the mom hasn't been in this church but yet for maybe a couple of years at most. And she has been a believer for 70 years, which is amazing, which is amazing to me. But she's mainly been in mainline denominational churches. And the teaching and the emphasis on some mainline denominational churches are this. If you, if you believe the right doctrine, if you can make the right confession, then that puts you in a place of faith. And she's been coming here, and the, the thing I found humorous but beautiful is she used the word revelation of Jesus in talking to me yesterday three times in a row. And I began to question, I began just to pique my interest of, of man, you've been, you've been following the Lord for 70 years. And she, she began to tell me this. She said, yeah, but I didn't know him intimately. When she went in for surgery a few weeks ago, she told, she told the nurses, she said, my pastor's been teaching me that I can, I can pray to God like he's my friend. Amen. And I thought, wow, something's getting through. Yeah. So, something, something is breaking through. And listen, there is, a, there is a paradigm, which paradigm just means the way you view things. There is a paradigm that God is releasing in this hour of Jesus as the bridegroom. And I don't want any of us to miss what he is speaking because he's speaking it so loudly and he's speaking it so clearly that the intimacy that we are to develop in the season that we're in right now is crucial for your future. It's crucial for your relationship. And she, again, she, she, she made the comment, she said, Jesus visits me in my house. I said to myself, wow, again. And I'm not to say, and this is not, please don't, please hear what I am saying, not what I'm not saying. She's had a relationship with the Lord, but in the last couple of years, because, and I asked if I could share this, okay? She wouldn't come here because she told her family, you go to the Holy Roller Church. <laughs> Can I tell you what's not going to get you through the days ahead? Dead, dry religion. It's not. It is not going, and that's what this parable is about. I was going to use that at the end of my sermon, but I felt led to use it in the beginning. Because when you look at this parable, there's some very confusing things there. If you just read it for what it is, 
you say, man, coming at night? Why would the groom come at night? Why, why would they be waiting with lamps, wicks trimmed and lamp oil in the, in the vessel? Why, why, what, what is going on here? And if you don't understand how a Jewish wedding and the beauty of the symbolism of what Jesus was giving in the parable to everything that Jesus came and said... It's, it's absolutely beautiful because they had arranged marriages in that day. Seemed to work pretty well. Holland, they seemed to work pretty well. <laughs> I got my eyes just spotting around the room even right now. So, so either a servant or the son himself from the father's command. Now listen to what I'm saying spiritually, okay? From the Father's command, because we have an idea of a wedding just like what we're sitting here today. People gather together, the, the, the bride is in the back preparing herself, and that's all symbolism. And there's a lot of symbolism in our wedding ceremonies today that we miss. And I try to tell the bride and groom when I do wedding ceremonies, hey, don't miss the symbolism because you're making a covenant before God. God, God will honor that covenant when you honor God with that covenant. I tell them all those things. And I'm, a covenant, when you cut a covenant, you cut it in half and you have witnesses on one side and witnesses on the other. And the person making the covenant would walk through the middle of the covenant. And, of course, we have traditions here where something is given that symbolizes the covenant. The, 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 the bride is all dressed in white. But it was very much different back in the days that Jesus gave this parable because the father would look at the son and he would say, Okay, here's what I want you to do, son. I want you to go to the house of this young lady who I've arranged for you to redeem and purchase. Because when he went to the house of the people, the family that he was going to be betrothed to this young lady, he would come with a huge sum of money. In other words, it was a dowry. It was a price that was going to be paid so that she would be his. And he would come in with that great price and they would come in and they would sit around a table and that table would have a cup of wine on the table. And listen, if the, if, the, if the young lady accepted the marriage proposal that he was coming, and what did Jesus do? Jesus came to pay a price for us. We are redeemed. We wore it on our chest on Palm Sunday. The redeemed is the fact that God would pay a price to be in a relationship with you. Everything Jesus is giving in this parable right here points to what Jesus said he would do all throughout his ministry because we understand that when he paid the price on the cross, it was to purchase and redeem you out of a life of sin, out of a life of hopelessness, out of a life of darkness, and, and redeem you so that you could be his precious treasure, his bride, his betrothed. And men sitting in this room, when I teach this, you may be sitting there thinking, ah, that doesn't have anything to do with me. Listen, we are the church, the bride of Christ. So this is applicable to everybody in this room. Because once she accepted the covenant he was presenting, she would take a drink of the wine. What did Jesus do on the night he was betrayed on Passover? He sat with his disciples and he said, this is the blood, this is the wine of the new covenant I am now making with you. So all the symbolism is all there. But what he would do is once, he, once she accepted... Once you accept the Lord, put this in spiritual terms, once you have come into covenant with Him, He's the one that is paying the price for the marriage. He's the one that's paying the price in order to bring her to Himself. But He would get up from the table and He would go to prepare a place for them. Isn't that what Jesus said? Yes. 
hey, I, I go to prepare a place. They understood immediately exactly everything Jesus was saying. The only hang up that the disciples had, which we would have had too, is, Lord, we don't know the way. <laughs> we, we don't know where you're going. How are we supposed to come or how are we supposed to follow? But see, the symbolism in the Jewish wedding ceremony is he would go to prepare a place. And listen, only the father who arranged the wedding would know when he was going to tell the son, now it's time. It helps you understand Mary and Joseph because they weren't fully consummated in their marriage, but she had accepted the wedding proposal, but they had not been the season because the wedding always happened in a completely different season than the engagement happened. Are you following me? Because the bride was expected to remain pure and chaste, and even though they had not consummated the wedding, her accepting the proposal was just as valid and just as locked in as if they had already done the wedding ceremony. Are you tracking with me? It's why in the scriptures that she was betrothed to Joseph. She was to be his wife. And you can understand the scandal that would have been whispered and talked about. Wait a second, they're not fully married. So he would go to prepare a place... He would wait until the father would say, son, it's time to go and get your bride. Are you tracking? And it always happened at night. It always happened in a time where where it was dark and and it came at a time when they weren't necessarily expecting. But the focus that we see in this parable, everybody say prepared. I've said this before and I'll say it again. The focus of the parable of the five wise and five foolish virgins is the fact that they were prepared for the groom to come with his wedding party, to come with his friends, and, to, and one of the friends would give a shout that the, the groom had come and everything had been made ready. And they go into a room to consummate the marriage, and that door is shut. Nobody gets into there. And this is the symbolism that we're looking at today, the symbolism of everything that Jesus said about drinking the cup of wine. That meant she accepted the engagement, the anticipation that the bride would have had for the coming of her bridegroom is a beautiful illustration. And how she's preparing herself, how she's getting ready, how she's focused on his return and his coming so that they could go. And, and Jesus said this, he said, I will not partake of the fruit of this vine until we all partake together. There is something called the marriage supper of the Lamb for the people of God that is coming ahead. And listen, when we gather together, we just get a little taste of the joy and the, and the worship and the, the feasting and all the things that are going to happen as Jesus comes and takes us away for a season during the tribulation, I believe, until he fully sets up his kingdom on earth. But here's my point this morning. You must be spiritually ready. Over and over again, we hear Jesus say, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him over and over and over again. Now, the main point of this whole parable is focused on the ten virgins. And the thing that I want to point out there, and this is something that challenges us this morning, so I want to present it as something that should challenge you. And at the end of the service today, we should all be able to evaluate which of the camps that we're in because the ten virgins is very interesting to me because it says that they're all virgins. It says they were all had lamps. It says that at one point they all had oil. 
And in this parable, notice that he did not call them righteous and wicked or committed and uncommitted. None of the believers in this parable reject the bridegroom. They don't reject Jesus. They all love Jesus as the bridegroom. And it's interesting that in the parable, the bridesmaids all appeared to be alike. They all thought of themselves as bridesmaids. They all dressed as bridesmaids. They all had lamps. They all trimmed their lamps. They all wanted to be a part of the wedding feast. But listen, not all of them were prepared for the groom to come back. Listen, we must put our energies into being prepared. So this is the warning from the parable until we get to the good part of the parable that hopefully everybody in here finds themselves in. Be sure that you are truly prepared. Because listen, church, it's possible to look like everybody else, dress like everybody else, carry your Bible like everybody else, be singing just like everybody else, but not in your heart be fully prepared for Jesus coming back. And it says in there that there were some who were prepared in a way this is, this is where I'm going this morning, so just listen to me real closely. There are some who had prepared in a way, according to the, to the parable, for this to be quite a long time. In other words, they, when they went into their time of preparation, because some, it says in the Bible, slept the, the sleep. Of, and, and this is the other thing. Not only did they all look the same, desire the same, have the same heart, all of it, the same. But what divided the wise and the foolish was the fact that, and we also see that they slept. Everybody say slept. Some of you are doing it right now. Say it again, slept. We see that and we think there's a negative connotation to the fact that they were sleeping, but there was not. And what that points to is the fact that our everyday life goes on because even though we are the redeemed even though we are these bridesmaids that are expecting the 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 groom's return we put ourselves into one or two camps here it says but see some were sleeping the the sleep of peace and understanding that they had prepared and some were sleeping the sleep of sloth and indifference knowing that they never really did fully intimately prepare for the groom's return And that's the difference. Because, church, we all have natural course of life that goes on. That's speaking to the fact that just like in the days of Noah, they will be eating and drinking and making merry, and they'll be going about life. Jesus' connotation wasn't the fact that we all have cars that need to have oil changed, that the towels... In other words, you could hear this sermon today and say, well, if this is the case, I'm going to go lock myself up in a room, and I'm going to just pray for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You'll last about two days. You will. Because the connotation isn't on the fact that they slept. They were, they were all virgins. They were all you know, getting prepared. They all knew what was going to happen eventually, and it says they all slept. But as I began to ponder this, I began to think about the fact that, that the ones who were wise, this is where I feel like the Holy Spirit was giving me revelation yesterday. Listen, the ones who were wise, because it didn't say necessarily that they had not brought the lamp and they had not known that they needed oil, I think that the difference there is is that there was a certain group of people who put a little extra up. Are you tracking with me? 
I'm telling you, that's where the Holy Spirit's been speaking to me, is that it's not just about we all have our lamp, we all have our oil. When you invite the Holy Spirit to create oil in your life and to be intimate with Him, He is going to come and begin to do it. And, and if you're like me, and I'm just telling on myself this morning, because I've been walking with the Lord for 26 years, there have been seasons when I've looked around my life and I'm like, I need to generate some oil. What does oil represent? Oil all throughout the Bible usually represents the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, and my point is, is that if you think that in the days we're living in, the, and again, this isn't some kind of con- condemning sermon, it's just the truth of the parable. If you think that just coming to church once a week or even twice a month is going to create the oil, it will create oil that will burn for a few days. Are you tracking? But these wise ones had a little something in reserve just in case there was extra testing and just in case there was extra difficulty and just in case there was extra time before he actually came back and the the shout of the bridegroom happened. And my point is, is that we view the Holy Spirit and we usually leave him in a bottle. (laughs) We do. We say to ourselves, man, isn't isn't the Holy Spirit great? Let's, let's just put him right up here. Let's just, let's just leave him there and let him be the Holy Spirit over there. And I'll be the worshiper down here. Let him, let him, Operate and bless me in my life when I come to church on Sunday and then the rest of the week I'll, I'll just go on about my business and not get with it. Can I tell you, Jesus is the revelation of the bridegroom and the paradigm that he is birthing. And I'm, listen, this isn't just what I think or what I maybe feel. I'm talking to people that have experienced an intimacy with God that they haven't experienced throughout their entire walk with the Lord. For one simple reason, they've had a revelation of who Jesus is. There is a, there is a revelation that God is releasing in this hour and in this time that, that, that will deeply convict, it will deeply impact the people of God. Those who are willing just open up their hearts and they say, Lord, search me and know me. Lord, Lord look inside of here. And God, I want there to be oil intimacy generated in my life and in my heart. Because when you look at all at the ten virgins, again, they all look the same, they all dress the same, they all had the same heart to be prepared. But when it came right down to it, there were some who understood, hey, I better bring a little extra. What I don't know what a little extra to you is this morning, but if you feel the tug of the Holy Spirit just to lay down what you're doing in any given moment and go get alone with Him, listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. If you feel the tug of the Holy Spirit just to kind of go and do something, by way of serving Him with somebody else, or you feel the tug of the Holy Spirit, man, you, you need to really focus in on this one scripture. What I'm trying to teach you as a church the whole time that I've been here, and this has been throughout my entire life, and again, don't look at me and think, yeah, I've just been riding up. There's been times that I would be afraid that I wouldn't have the oil necessary if He came back that day. Are you hearing your pastor? 
And I think we could all relate to that. We get so busy. We get so. But Jesus wasn't knocking them for their busyness or the fact that they were all sleeping. He was knocking that when it came. In other words, when it came crunch time, is the oil, the intimacy, the presence of the Holy Spirit in a bottle at church, or is it in your heart in the lamp that's supposed to be burning brightly every single day? Because there is a huge difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing who Jesus is, and the fact that He is a judge a king and a bridegroom and it's a revelation that God has given to his church to say hey there's an intimacy that I'm offering to my people in this hour and it would behoove us to hear what the spirit of God is saying to the church because this oil listen this, this oil is generated church by just being intimate with him you say, how, how, if the oil is important, because that, that was the deal. It wasn't about the wick. It wasn't about the lamp. It wasn't about the vessel. I think in church so much, we, we focus on the vessel, Brother Rick. We, we focus on, ah, you know, if you dress like that, dress differently. You know, if you talk like that, talk differently. If you go here, quit going there. And those are all valid. Those are things that God wants to lead us through. But I think the real focus of this parable, completely across the board, is there was a group, there were five they were prepared because they had oil for their vessel. And it also said, hey, maybe you should go off and find those and buy. And we read that and we think, oh, okay, wait a second. What is it that, that I can pay? In order, can I tell you what this is? The offer is a free gift. But listen to my heart this morning. Listen to my heart. It's a free gift that will cost you absolutely everything. Are you hearing, Pastor, this morning? Because to really create oil that is going to burn in the lamp so that when, 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 you, when he returns that you're fully prepared doesn't happen by accident. The point I believe that they were making in the parable he told us, hey, go off and go off and, and get. In other words, when it's time to try to need it, if you don't already have it, it's too late. Are you hearing me? The time when you need it, if you don't have it, is going to be too late. Because church, so many people in the church are trying to get by on Grandma Betty's oil. Or a good friend's oil. Or somebody else's relationship with the Lord. And listen to me this morning. It doesn't mean that you don't know Him. It doesn't mean that you don't believe in Him. It doesn't mean... But we see in this parable, it's possible to look and dress and act and talk like everybody else, but not really on the inside, having that oil of it. How is that oil generated? I'll tell you how it's generated. That oil is generated by coming into a place where you just begin to pray consistently. When you begin to delve into His Word, when you begin to, to sacrifice, oh my goodness, Sacrifice? Jesus would call me to sacrifice something? Absolutely He will. But you know, and, and you, some of you know this and some of you are going to know it because I'm not going to leave you alone. Yeah. Not. Some of you know it, some of you don't. But there's nothing I have ever laid down before God and it's created the oil of just that beautiful intimacy with the Holy Spirit. There's nothing that I haven't sacrificed and laid down that God hasn't blessed me back 100-fold. In the moment, I didn't do it for that reason. And those, 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 those precious bridesmaids, those ones who were waiting and waiting with the bride, and listen, they were preparing themselves. Think about something for a second. You've all been to weddings. I've officiated dozens, if not hundreds at this point, in 20 years of full-time ministry in a couple days. 
that we've all been there. And what is happening is the bride is the focus. The bride is preparing. The bride is anticipating. The bride is excited. The bride is ready. My niece is getting married in just a couple months. Talking to my brother just here a few weeks ago. And he's like, man, pray for me. (laughs) She wants to get married at their house. And they got a large farm. and, And it's got some hills. And she doesn't like where one of the goat barns is, is in the distance where the tree is where she wants to see the picture. I hope they never listen to this. <laughs> she didn't want the goat barn, so I called my Saul. He sent me a picture the other day of them tearing down the goat barn. <laughs> Bridezilla. <laughs> Some of you experienced promzilla yesterday, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, we, 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 we were there yesterday. We survived prom, y'all. Thank you, Jesus. But the point is, is, is that even in our weddings and in the weddings in the Middle East in that time, there was a, listen, there was a length of time between that proposal. When you come into covenant and relationship with God through his blood, it's a free gift lest any man should boast. Listen to me, that's just the first step into the kingdom. That's, that's just your first eye-opening step. And then a lot of people say, well, just stop there and just focus on No, there are so many more places God wants to bring you. There's so much more intimacy that he wants to birth. There's so much revelation that he wants to give of your word. Yes. And the revelation you begin to have is just like John taught his people. He said, he finally told you older, you ones that have walked with God for a long time, you know him who was from the beginning. There's something of walking with God for decades that your eyes begin to be open and see a broader picture of what God is doing in a very broad way. And that eye-opening experience is amazing because you begin to see the planning, the plan unfold. But church, the planning and preparation that goes into the wedding time is no different than what we are and where we are today as the body of Christ, as the people of God. Because there's a bridal paradigm. There's a bridegroom paradigm. And church, I just want to say from my heart to yours, you don't want to miss this. You don't. And today's not to scare you into believing in Jesus' day. It's a parable that was given to make sure that the people knew that there was something that's going to be required. You know, that, that, that day is going to be the ultimate red, red velvet rope experience that you... Because, listen, there are people that we hold in high esteem all throughout the world and even our country, and we lift up. Nothing wrong with it. I like to watch sports, but we lift up LeBron James, and we lift up this singer, and lift up Taylor Swift or somebody else. Do you understand that red velvet moment is we're all going to be in a line, and there's going to be some people that have something just different. They're going to have something in their hand. And they didn't, just, they didn't just get oil or hear a pastor talk about oil or watch Grandma Betty pray fire and, and uh, you know, pray, pray for the family and see all kinds of things happen. Patriarchs, like Brother Tommy Williams sitting right back there, patriarchs of the family. They're going to be there. But see, what they did throughout their life is they generated intimacy with Christ that went into their vessel. And there's going to be some famous people. Bill Gates, $48 billion or whatever that man has. Do you realize that's not going to mean anything? He could have suitcases full of that $48 billion, and he's over in this line, and hopefully you're in this line. And theologically speaking, we have the judgment seat of Christ, the great white throne judgment. I'm not getting into that. I'm just saying that a lot of people think that they can, they can buy their good works. It's not good works. It's intimacy. Because all through the word, church, what was said to the people time and again, I didn't know you. 
And there's going to be that red velvet moment because they're going to be looking over in your line. They're going to be like, what you got? I don't know. I was just faithful to him all my life. I don't know. I, when the church doors were open, I showed up. When there was prayer meeting, I came and I prayed. You want to get oil in your vessel? Come on Monday night. I'm just telling you. You cannot leave here without some oil being flowed into your... And I'll tell you why it simply is, is because there's 15, 20 people here, and those who are the hungriest are going to get the most blessed. You want to generate intimacy of oil, get hungry. You say, how do I get hungry? Quit feeding yourself on the things of the world. (laughs) Quit feeding on things that never fill. And you're going to be standing there in that moment, and maybe some famous basketball star, Taylor Swift, or or I'm, I'm messing with my daughter right now. Or Bill Gates, let's just say the richest man in the world is standing there and he says, hey, can I have that? That's what the parable is talking about. The parable is a group of people that, that, man, you know, this really isn't that important. I've got a boat to be on today. This Jesus thing isn't that important. I like to go out and party with my friends. You say, Pastor, you're going to shrink the church. Good. Good, because I've told you since the six years ago I came, I'd rather have a hundred sold-out people because we will shake the gates of hell and we will reach a community than 500 that are lukewarm. You know that's my heart. And he's going to look over at the other line and say, hey, I've got $46 billion here. How about it? Nope. Because what, what I was given, you can't pay for. Only he can Because the beauty of intimacy with God through the person of the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, it's what this generation is looking for. It's what this world, if, if, again, I'm a statistic person, I have not preached one ounce of my notes. One ounce. Makes me wonder about spending late into the night doing them, you know, looking at them. But I know the Holy Spirit is speaking right now. I know it. And we look and evaluate our lives. And we say, Lord, because it is a free gift of salvation. But then the Lord, and when, when I've done weddings all through the years, there are wedding coordinators, right? And the wedding coordinators are the ones that prepare and get everything ready and prepared for the bride to be presented in a timely manner and make sure there's no spots and to make sure there's no wrinkles. And me as a pastor, that's my heart, is to make sure you're prepared, to make sure that you're ready, to make sure that there is a, 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 an understanding that God is looking for an intimacy in the time we're living in. Amen? Buddy, if you come to the... I'm going to be a few minutes, but if you come and just begin to continue to entertain the presence of the Holy Spirit... It says, while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went into the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. He answered, assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. And we are likened to a bride that is making ourselves ready, preparing ourselves, getting ourselves ready for the day that we'll hear the shout that the bridegroom is returned. And this is the season that we're in. He went to prepare a place for you. Imagine what a place that is, church. Imagine what a 
beautiful, incredible place. If Jesus has taken this long to get it ready, he's got something special in store. And church, you don't want to miss it. But if I were to say to you today, what does it mean to be prepared? What does it mean for us to... what What would the bridegroom be saying to his bride to get her ready for him to come back? We don't have to wonder. You just need to simply read the Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. Because we are living in Revelation 2 and 3 right now as we stand here. That's, that's the age that we're living in. We're living in the church age. We're living in the age of grace. We're living in the age that the bridegroom has come to the world. He loves the world. He's for the world. He wants them to come into a relationship with him so that we can be betrothed. He's a king, he's a judge, and he's a bridegroom according to what the Bible tells us. But what he, what he did in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 is he basically said a rebuke to some of the churches. I think if Jesus was still writing letters through one of his apostles, the church in America would be getting a letter. Amen. But what he began to say was, first off, he dealt with the church of Ephesus, and he said, look, you've left your first love. Be zealous and repent and return. So in other words, we all understand this, whether you've been married and the... the, the 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 covenant institution of marriage and the reason it's been so under attack for thousands of years is because it symbolizes a covenant in the scriptures that shows us the relationship that God desires to have with us as his people. It's the reason the enemy hates it and the reason he's trying to dismantle and tear it apart. And this pastor stands right here and says marriage is a man and it's a woman and it's for life. You're supposed to be faithful to the wife or husband of your youth. But he says to them, be zealous and repent because you've left your first love. So what do we do by way of saying, okay, God, if you're preparing us, Holy Spirit, if you're speaking to us, we don't have to look any further than the book of Revelation because he said, be zealous and repent to the first church. The next church, he rebuked for the teaching of Balaam. The teaching of Balaam was a teaching of greasy grace. That's what I call it. Greasy grace just simply says, and it's a teaching, or or maybe better yet, hyper grace. Well, it doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter what you do. Once you come to Jesus, it's all done and covered and removed. And you don't have to to live a life that's pleasing to God. That is not the teaching of the scriptures. It's not at all. So he said, you're, you're, you're... So, in other words, not only does he want a bride that's in love, think about something for a second. If you were betrothed, if you were engaged, and you came rolling up into a a parking lot to go in and buy groceries, and you saw your engaged, beloved, hanging out in the parking lot by a car with five or six guys hanging out, how would you begin to feel? Well, the way you would feel is like, hey, wait, she's pledged herself to me. But often in the church, we've seen how close we can get to the line of the world when God's saying, don't sit on the fence, pick a side. Don't sit on the fence. Choose this day whom you will serve. Because Jesus said we would be a pure bride. Everybody say pure. 
so we would be prepared and we would be pure. And he wrote to the, the churches in Revelation and he simply said the, the teaching of Balaam. But then he said, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Interestingly enough, he said, don't listen to the doctrine of Balaam, which said, it doesn't matter what you do, it's all covered anyway. That's hyper greasy grace, as I call it. It's not the truth of God's word. But neither are the deeds of the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans were hyper legalistic. (laughs) So what are you teaching, Pastor? I'm teaching you that there is a third way. There's a middle ground that we can do where we understand that God wants us to live a life of purity and love. But you'll never measure up to get into heaven. You understand? There's a lot of people that are out there buying into wrecking on either side of those roads. Let me tell you the truth of the gospel. You're a sinner who are lost. When you repent, put your faith in Jesus, then you now have the power to live above the junk of this world. You now have that power. Listen, the grace of God is the grace that invites you to be free so that truth can set you free. I'll say it again. The grace that Jesus offers is the grace that sets you free so that the truth can penetrate your heart. And it says, we would know the truth and the truth would set us free indeed. Listen, Jesus was full of grace and truth. Oftentimes, again, we wreck on, because if if you give people all grace, 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 then you're not giving them the truth of God's word, and it's not going to change anybody. If you come in and just, see, it's always grace and truth, because when grace comes, it opens up our heart to understand that you can live a life that's pleasing to God. You can live a life that's being prepared and have intimacy in your life and intimacy in your heart, so that when He does return, you have something. Stand with me this morning. See, the Word of God does not change for any man. The Word of God is settled forever in the heavenlies, the Bible says. What happens is the the Word of God comes and changes our story. We don't change the Bible by our story. The Bible comes and changes us, and then we live out of that truth. There's one church, and this this is who I want Jason Hanks and his wife and his family to be in the the church here, Christian Center Church to be, there was the the church of Philadelphia because they didn't get a rebuke. They got a praise. Here's what he said. He said, you have kept my word. And how do we generate intimacy? How do we generate being prepared and ready and looking and, and, and anticipating and excited about the return of Jesus? Let me tell you something very simple. Live according to the Word of God. That's it. Honor His Word. Love His Word. Study His Word. Dig deeply into His Word. Stay in His Word. And it's the lukewarm church that He basically said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is knocking on the door of His church. That's That's a church scripture, by the way. We use it in reference to salvation, which is fine. But he's standing at the door of his church. He's knocking. He's desiring to come in. He says, if I come in, I'll I'll have a meal with you. Again, what I told you earlier about this precious woman of God, I love her to death, right here in this church, it was just, wow. 
And I know she's been intimate with the Lord before, but there's something fresh. I hope you, I hope you sense there's something fresh the Holy Spirit's doing in this church. For those who really desire and want it, there's something beautiful and fresh. There's, just a, there's a fresh oil that's available. But if you come in with the attitude, well, I hope they don't sing too much, and I hope he doesn't preach too long, and I hope... My point is, is that is the attitude of a foolish virgin... It is. Scripturally, it, it absolutely is because you're more worried about yourself than being with Him. And who would want to marry somebody? It was always trying to get away from the other. Leah's tried it a few times. I've hunted her down. I've told her a hundred times. I said, Leah, if you're, you, you ever leave me, I'm going with you. She can't get away. Jesus wants us to come with our hearts fully just saying, Jesus, like we sang already, we love you. Come, Lord Jesus. That's the heart cry of the bride at the very end of Revelation. The spirit and the bride say come. When you lay your head down at night, there should be a peaceful rest knowing that your list with God has already been dealt with before you ever laid your head down. That's where a lot of people need to get to. You need to keep a short list. You don't need to be repentant of stuff you did two years ago. It means you haven't come into contact with God and His Holy Spirit. It means at the end of the day, like my grandfather taught me and said, Lord, how would I do on the road out there today? Every single day of my life for 26 years, the Holy Spirit has put His finger on something that I could have said differently, that I could have done differently, that I could have not done or done. We look at sin as just what we do. The Bible says there's sins of omission and commission. He who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So there's things that I knew I should have called this person. I knew I should have done this over here. I knew I should have done that over there. And So there's both those things that we keep a list with God where we say, Holy Spirit, again, what I'm teaching you is intimacy that generates oil because the oil is going to make the difference in lighting the lamp and being prepared, lamp-filled, wick-trimmed. The foolish ones just didn't say to themselves, I need to get a little extra. So whatever that extra for you is in your relationship with God, I'm, the Holy Spirit's calling His church to it in this, in this hour. I don't know what that extra is. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's extra not letting finances keep control over you. Amen? You know, one of those powerful things to break the enemy off of you is to be a giver. You just give. Maybe it's a besetting sin. We've all had them. We've all struggled with them. The weight and the sin that so easily besets us. To cast it off. This is your opportunity today to cast that off. To run the race that is before you. To say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I need you. Matter of fact, bow your head and close your eyes. I want to ask you this question. This is what I, I felt. Holy Spirit, speak to each of our hearts, God, in this moment. He's here, church. He's here. He's he's right here. He's hovering in this atmosphere. Holy Spirit, speak to us individually of whatever it is that, God, you would desire for us to change. You would desire for us to repent of right now in this moment. Because, Lord, we say today that we want to be the wise virgins. We want to be the wise ones. 
We want to be those who are prepared, who are anticipating, excited, looking for the return of our bridegroom, King, King Jesus. Lord, speak to our hearts. Show us. Show us, Lord. Show us how we can go deeper with you. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. For those who are here, those who are at home and watching, let the Holy Spirit fall right there on you and and allow him to reveal something to you. There are those here today that say, I've, I, I know in my heart of hearts, I may look the part today, I may have carried the biggest Bible that I own into this church right underneath my arm. You look the, just like everybody else, but there's something you know is not completely right in your heart. I want to give you this opportunity to get it right between you. It's not it's sitting between you and a pastor and you and a church. This is you and Jesus. But I feel the tug of the Holy Spirit right now. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you just shoot your hand up and say, I know there's things in my heart this morning that I don't want to leave here with them in my heart. Just shoot your hand up. Shoot your hand up. Amen. Amen. Church, there are revivals that start with, with, with what just happened in this moment right here. Because we're coming clean with Jesus. He knows it. He sees it. But He loves you. He loves you. And there's nothing more wonderful than being in a right relationship with God. So let's all pray this together. Those who are repenting and putting their faith in Him, those of us who have been saved for 26 years or 46 years, I'm going to join with you in just saying, God, prepare me. Pray this with me. Heavenly Father, we know Your Word today that tells us to be prepared, to be watching, to be ready. So Father, today, we humbly ask you to wash us clean with the water of your word. We turn away from anything that comes between you and I. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to wash me clean. And God, today, we ask you to prepare us for the return of your son. We love and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. You need to be ready, church. I encourage you to come. If you can, tomorrow night at 630, we're just going to pray like we always do. And then Wednesday night, 630. And uh, next Sunday, if you can't make it those two times, the next Sunday, come. We're going to continue on this end times. And I'm going to tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt when Jesus is coming back. I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just trying to get your interest going, y'all. Can I bless you before you go? And I mean this. I don't do this out of routine. I mean it out of a heart of you want the blessing of God on your life. You want the protection, the hedge around our kids, the blood of Jesus covering them. And God is a faithful God. And He's going to bless you, not because I'm special, but because we are the people of God that He wants to bless. He wants to know you. He wants a relationship with you. So, Father, in that same spirit that I just said, I bless the people of God today. Father, I pray they would be blessed going in and blessed going out. They would be blessed at work and blessed in their home. Father, today, we lift up our grandkids, our kids, and our families to you. 
And we ask you, Father, to pour out blessings upon them. Watch over and protect them and us and lead us and guide us into all truth and in your way, God, every single moment of every single day until you bring us back together at the appointed time. Father, we give you all the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Offering boxes are in the back, guys, if you want to leave your tithes and offerings. I always forget to mention that. So love you. Go in the name of the Lord today and be blessed, blessed, blessed. Because it is a beautiful day. Go do something fun.